Wow. I think that's very sound advice. Even from a, how old are you? 18, 19 year old? I'm 18. 18. I think that's very, very wise. I think you're wise beyond your years. But I recall that you were that way when you were 10 years old as well. You were very wise beyond your years. Well, thanks. (laughs) You're welcome. first started experiencing symptoms of depression and anxiety as early as middle school, Becca was officially diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder in high school. She is now in college and on track to go to med school to become a psychiatrist and help others who have stigmatized mental illnesses like her own. She shares her story with us on this episode. My name is Katie Houston Davies and this is Mental Illness and Me. This episode discusses serious topics such as suicide. Please use discretion while listening. All right. So, hi, I'm Becca. I'm a freshman at USU studying psychology and pre-med. I'm involved in a couple Scottish bagpipe bands, one that operates out of Sandy, Utah, and it does a lot of stuff, including the Days of 47 parade. That's a big deal. And then one that's at USU that is smaller and does a lot of stuff for the university. And I love reading and just learning about everything I can. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that introduction. It is very unique to meet somebody in a Scottish band. I love that. So my first question for you, Becca, is why did you agree to do an interview on this podcast about mental illness? I agreed because I'm super passionate about mental health and mental illness. As I said, I'm a psychology major, so that's kind of my jam. Uh, It's also that I just, I don't know that there can ever be too much knowledge about it. And everyone kind of needs to know more about mental health and mental illness because it's very prevalent, especially nowadays. Um... And I also want to be helpful, like other people have been helpful for me. Podcasts are something that's been really important for me to connect with other people that are going through the same things I am. And I hope I can be that person for at least some other people. Oh, I guarantee that you will. That that's fantastic and very eloquent. Um, I would love to know a brief history of your own mental illness uh, story, I guess, and what led to your diagnosis and then the subsequent treatment for mental illness. Um, So my history is kind of long, but I'll keep it brief. I started having some depressive symptoms when I was around 10 or 11, and I didn't really tell anyone because part of that was that I thought that my family didn't didn't love me, I guess, is the best way to put how I felt. And I thought that I was a burden, so I didn't tell my parents about it. That led to it increasing until eventually I told someone um, when I was in about eighth grade, and they convinced me to tell my parents and get some help. By that point, I also had um, a lot of anxiety about different things I was involved in, like academic anxiety and performance anxiety. So I went to therapy in eighth grade. I didn't love my therapist. There were, it just didn't vibe. And there was a lot of things that 
just didn't click. So I sort of lied to get out of going to therapy anymore, but I wasn't better, I guess. So I got back into some bad habits and my friends found out when I was in ninth grade and told my parents. And I went back to therapy with, with a new therapist who I got along a lot better with. Um, I still wasn't super like ready to go into treatment yet though. I wasn't open to the therapeutic process. So I didn't stay for very long and I left with kind of a resolve that I wouldn't go back. Um, I continued to have depressive symptoms with periods of feeling better, but also I kept having recurrent symptoms of depression and anxiety. Right around the same time that the coronavirus really broke out and quarantines went into place, I went back to therapy because I wasn't doing well and I was getting more and more depressed. And eventually it came to a point where therapy wasn't enough. And I decided with my therapist that for the safety of myself, I needed to pursue other treatments. I went to my primary care physician and I got prescribed antidepressants that worked really quickly, probably faster than they should have worked. Um, but they left a little bit of anxiety, so we upped the dose. And again, it, you know, cut out those depressive symptoms really quickly. Eventually, I started to get symptoms that I didn't understand. I was really shaky and I was talking really fast and I was like wired but tired and all of these things. So I went back to my doctor and she said that I might have, that I might be experiencing mania. So she suggested that I go to a psychiatrist, which I did. He confirmed that I was experiencing hypomania and diagnosed me with bipolar 2. I got started on the mood stabilizer and things seemed to be going well, but eventually I had another hypomanic episode and I got put on an antipsychotic, but that made me super depressed. So I got taken off of that and put on a whole myriad of medication, but it seems to be doing its job, which is really nice. How long has that been the process of, of the medication trials like when did you first start taking medication uh i started taking medication at the end of september last year so about a year and a month ago and then i started um kind of trying to find new medications for my correct diagnosis um at the very beginning of april of this year Right. And then it has kind of stabilized out just as of recently, or was it pretty quick that you were able to get the right dosage and right medications? It stabilized um, about like early September this year. So it's been about like a month and a half since it stabilized. Yeah, I think that's an important thing for people to understand because medication is a process and it is not an overnight thing. And sometimes it can take for you, that was at least a year until you found the right diagnosis, the right medication and got to a place that felt really good and comfortable. And sometimes it just requires a whole lot of patience and a whole lot of perseverance too. It's really easy to want to throw in the towel. For those who are listening to this podcast for the first time, can you just review what the difference is between bipolar two and bipolar one? Yeah, of course. 
Um, so bipolar one, the um, what qualifies as bipolar one is you must have one manic episode, which includes um, elevated or like elevated mood, which could be elevated as in happy or elevated as in like aggressive. Um, and then it also includes a few, like actually a lot of other symptoms, well, possible symptoms, including racing thoughts, pressured speech, hypersexuality, um, impulsivity. There's a few others that um, you can easily look up. Bipolar 2 requires a hypomanic episode, which is very similar to a manic episode, except it's less severe um, and it doesn't impair your life as much. And it also requires at least one major depressive episode, which depression is more common. So a lot of people would know what a major depressive episode is. It includes lack of interest in things, feeling down, um, thoughts of wanting to hurt yourself, hypersomnia, a few other ones. But bipolar 2, you have to have the hypomania and the depression. Bipolar 1, you have to have the mania. A lot of people also have the depressive side of that, but it's not required for the diagnosis of bipolar 1. So tell us a little bit about what mental illness looks like for you in your daily life. So when I am symptomatic, um, I'll start with depression because that's the one that I've experienced um, or that I've noticed the longest. I feel tired all the time and I have very low self-esteem. I have, I very quickly get thoughts of wanting to hurt myself or thoughts that I'd be better off dead or that I want to die. Um, it's very easy for me to slip into the pattern of small things not going right. It just confirms what I already tend to believe when I'm depressed, that life isn't worth living. When I'm hypomanic, on the other side, my symptoms, I get racing thoughts, I get irritable sometimes, but I also get really happy, almost like slap happy. I get impulsive, but I'm decently able to control that and curb the impulsivity. Um, something my friends have noticed is I get hypersexual in, I don't go like, you know, doing, I don't know, having actions that are hypersexual, but I tend to be more flirty, um, including I'm, I'm straight, which is important to know for this specific thing. I am sometimes flirty with guys without being hypomanic, but I'm only ever flirty with girls when I am hypomanic, which my friends think is really funny. When I'm not symptomatic, it's because I'm on meds and I do have side effects from my meds, which is unfortunate, but it's, I guess, the lesser of two evils. Something I'm running into more now, now that I am stable, is a little bit of uh, I have a hard time saying it, but it's agnosignosia, which is just, it's kind of, it happens to people with mental illness, especially the more severe mental illnesses like bipolar and schizophrenia, where once you are stable, you kind of question if your mental illness, if you even have that mental illness, or if you were just making things up, or if you just aren't remembering it correctly, or if you, you know, exaggerated it. 
So it's really hard to kind of combat that. And that makes you not want to take your meds because you're getting these side effects from the meds and you have a hard time believing that you even need them. But I still take my meds. I just sometimes ponder if it would be, if I'd be better not taking them. Oh, I've been there. I think, I think that a lot of people have those thoughts because like you said, there's always going to be a side effect that's going to be disruptive. You know, there's not just a magic pill that's going to fix everything. And so, yeah, you start to think, is this really worth it? I'm doing so great. But the reason you're doing great is because you're on medication. (laughs) If you look back at the story of your life from age 10, when you started noticing these depressive episodes until now, what do you feel like your mental illness has prevented you from doing that you might that you maybe wish that you had done I think specifically my anxiety which I know I haven't been focusing on that but my anxiety has kept me from trying new things a lot of the time I really wanted to be in a play or try theater or be in a choir I tried tumbling for a bit I was so nervous about looking stupid in front of other people that I never tried things or when I did try things I quit really quickly because I was just so anxious about messing up in front of other people so I just didn't try things when I was younger and now I really wish I would have and now looking back much more recently when I was trying to figure out my meds it was right at the end of my senior year And with COVID, we hadn't really had many activities or many things that kind of make up a senior year during the first half. And by the time we were actually having activities, I was trying to figure out meds. And one of the main side effects I get from almost every med I take is extreme exhaustion, especially when I first started. And with trying to figure things out, I was just so dead and sort of like a zombie for the last portion of my senior year. And I have pictures. I know I went to things, but it felt like I wasn't there, that I was in a daze or a fog trying to just get through the last part of my senior year. Oh, gosh, that is so hard. You know, and like you said, it's the lesser of the two evils sometimes, you know, but it's just so discouraging even when you have found... Not, I don't want to say a cure, but you've found a way to help ease some of those other symptoms. It comes at a cost. And that's, that's really frustrating. But I guess, you know, that's just part of life. Yeah, for sure. So now that things have stabilized a little bit for you, do you find yourself doing things that maybe you didn't do before? A little bit. It's hard because I'm recently in college now. So it's kind of the fear of just all the unknown of college. But I do think I am trying more things. My apartment building was playing Just Dance in our common room one evening. And I never would have, like, joined, especially in the front row of, like, a group of people that I didn't know very well playing Just Dance. Because that's just, like, an awkward situation. But I totally did. And I got super into it. It was throwing myself into something that I didn't really know where this was going, but I definitely wouldn't have done that when I was younger and more anxious. That makes me so happy. And it, it also is inspiring that you have started this process of figuring out your mental health at such a young age so that 
your life now doesn't have to be impaired by the crippling anxiety that you had before. It's, it's such a wonderful thing to hear. Do you still go to therapy and are you open to therapy if you found yourself struggling again in the future? I don't still go to therapy. I stopped towards the end of summer because my therapist was in Salt Lake and I was moving to Logan. I don't do well with telehealth therapy. I tried it with my therapist in Salt Lake occasionally when he was out of town or one of us was like sick with something that might be COVID. And I just didn't, I couldn't open up the same way that I did in person. So I stopped going to therapy in Salt Lake because I was moving and I felt like I was kind of done with that therapist. Not that he wasn't great, but I had kind of outgrown him, uh, especially since I was researching more and more about bipolar and he was more of a general therapist. He didn't know as much as I did about bipolar at the end. I've thought about getting a therapist up here at college. I haven't yet because it's intimidating to try and figure out which one to go to. And I don't, it's not an urgent need, but I'm completely open to going to therapy again. I think therapy's great. I think everyone could benefit from therapy, but I don't think I'll go in the very near future unless something changes. Right. And I think it's like that for a lot of people that, you know, at certain times in your life, it's more necessary than others. And it is really daunting to try to find a therapist and to kind of tell your story over again. It's, it's really emotionally hard. And it's also just, like you said, really intimidating. I kind of have that same attitude. I don't really look forward to the process of it because I just moved to somewhere new as well. But I know that there will probably come a time where I'm going to need it again. And I have to be ready to act when that happens. What has the experience been like for your family as they've watched you suffering and have tried to figure out ways to help you? That's a good question. Um, My family isn't like, they don't pry that much. Not that prying is necessarily bad or good, but they kind of leave it up to the individual to share as much as they want or not share if they don't want to. As I mentioned earlier, when my mental health first started deteriorating, it instilled in me this fear that my parents didn't love me and they thought I was a burden. So I never wanted to bring up mental health or anything I was struggling with with them because I thought it would just increase that for them. I have since gotten over that and I know my parents love me very much and I love them very much and I love it when I can see them, but I still am not quite as open with them as I sometimes think I should be. I did, of course, tell them about my diagnosis of bipolar, but it took one of my teachers being like, you have to tell them for me to bring it up that I might have bipolar before I was diagnosed. My father has been more of the, if you need something, tell me. If you don't, I'm not going to ask because that's your thing. My mom has more taken it upon herself. She knows when I have appointments with my psychiatrist and she always asks how they went and if there's new medications and what those medications entail and what they're for. They're supportive when I need it, but I, I just tend to be more independent than I think some people are. Right. 
Well, and I just going back to what you said about your intense fear that your parents didn't love you. It's just amazing how mental illness can twist our thoughts into such irrational places, you know, because of course, like you said, your parents love you very much and they never had that thought, but you can convince yourself to the point of it being truth to yourself that something is the way that you think it is. And it's scary because that's what leads people to do drastic things. I have a like index card hung up on my bulletin board that is like a response to the thoughts I normally have when I'm considering doing drastic things just to remind myself that they're not rational because I it's so hard to remember when the symptoms strike again because as you said the mental illness just twists your thought to such irrational things that it it's baffling how like how much you can convince yourself of something that is completely untrue wow i'm so glad you shared that about the index card because i think that's really really important because in the moment things can feel so desperate and you can feel so completely lost and that you have nothing to offer and then when you're out of that moment you can look at it and see it for what it is so it's good to have a piece of reality that's there on your mirror that could remind you you know this is not reality what I'm feeling right now what advice would you give to people who have similar diagnoses I think that it's important to not stop living it's especially when you first get diagnosed or you're first trying to find treatment, it is so easy to get wrapped up in just trying to figure out a treatment for your like mental illness. And that can become all that you are. I remember a lot of times when people asked how I was when I was trying to find medication, I would just tell them how the medication was going. But it was important to find things that were still like my life that weren't just treatment. But also don't beat yourself up if you are having a hard time finding those things, it's a delicate balance. Um, Another thing I would suggest is find people you can talk to. There's two categories of people I think that you should be talking to. There's like your loved ones, like your family and your friends. And often these people aren't actually really gonna know what's going on. They can try to understand, but there's no way for them to truly like comprehend what you're going through because they haven't experienced it themselves. The other category of people is people that understand it. There's support groups, there's Facebook groups, there's listening to podcasts, or there's just people that you have like connections to. One of my teachers my senior year um, heard about what was going on. I told all my teachers what was happening. And he um, directed me to talk to his sister because she had had a very similar senior year to mine. And we're, we still talk nowadays. And though she doesn't have bipolar, she has mental illness. And she was such an important person to me because all the fears I had about having this mental illness going into my adult life, she kind of answered as a like looking back on where she, like, where she came from and where she is now. I think the last thing that I would recommend is to just keep going, to like focus on what you can control and, you know, let the things you can't control kind of fall out of your like vision, I guess. And don't 
don't try to control things that you can't because that'll just leave you frustrated. And then enjoy the good days when they're there and don't be too discouraged when they're not because there's always more coming. I really liked what you had to say about the mentor that you had, um, that your teacher referred you to and that you guys are still in touch today. I think that's fantastic. And I actually have a good friend who struggles with OCD like I do and we Marco Polo each other and it was so helpful because she gets it. Yeah. Well, thank you, Becca. This was wonderful to talk to you. I'm so proud of you for how um, passionate you are about this. And I know that this is just the beginning of a huge road. Um, have you thought about doing psychiatry in your in your medical field? That's the plan. But yeah, I want to go to med <laughs> school and um, do a residency in psychiatry and then focus on, I guess, the more stigmatized mental illnesses. Oh, that's fantastic. And you're the perfect person to do it because you've experienced it. And I think that's so crucial and so valuable. So I'm going to be excited to kind of track you on your journey. This is awesome. Someday you should come back as a professional on on the podcast if I'm still doing it. (laughs) I'd love to. That'd be so cool. The goal of Mental Illness in Me is to normalize the mental health conversation and help those who suffer feel less alone. Your support is critical to raise awareness and help as many people as possible. If this podcast resonates with you, please follow our Instagram account, Mental Illness and Me KT, our Facebook page, Mental Illness and Me, or leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. If you are interested in sharing your story, please email mentalillnessandmekt at gmail.com.